Genesis 16. Genesis 16. Lord willing, time willing, I'm hoping we can do the whole chapter tonight. Um, we started about, I lose track, I think it's about four years ago, maybe three years ago, we started putting the messages online. And one of the hardest things to do is they wanted to put a title for each message. And I have never been good at titles. I watch pastors on TV, and they have these amazing titles, and I struggle with titles left and right. Yes, Jeremiah. Yeah? I should listen to them? Okay. So I can listen to it Saturday and just repeat it on Sunday. You know what happened? I could do that. Uh, they do have nice titles. I've, I've actually met I've actually met the pastor from Cedar Creek. He's a very nice man. I could steal his messages, but we can't. I can't steal his messages and put them online here, though. That would be wrong. I would just have to do it deceitfully. Oh, you're just an idea. Okay. Just the titles. Yeah. Well, I was. Well, you know, I could. I could put you in charge of just making the titles. You're a computer guy. So, so anyways, I had to make titles for these messages, and I struggle with that. And what happens is they put the messages online, I go home, and I look, and I don't know what to call these things. I call it Genesis 16. Um, but I have a title for tonight, and the title is simply Everybody's Wrong. <laughs> That's the title. Because in this message tonight, there's Hagar, there is Sarah, there's Abraham, and everybody's wrong. There's one good person in this message, and it's God. And there's no one else good in this message. This message is everybody is wrong because every character in this message tonight should have, could have done things differently. Now, it's really easy to have a message like this and then we all walk out of here feeling completely dejected. And I remember when I first started teaching Wednesday nights, which has been about, um, about 17 years ago, I started teaching Wednesday nights. And I remember Pastor Krieger at the time said, remember, people are coming on Wednesday nights. They're tired. It's been a long day. It's been rough. Try to keep it encouraging. Try to make it that oasis in the middle of the week. So there's grace in this, but everybody's wrong. But just remember, if you listen to this message, you're like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's me too. Aren't we thankful for the grace of Jesus? And that's what it comes down to. So with that being said, let's see what everybody's doing wrong. Verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, and the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into her embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. I mean, this is just soap opera. There's no way around that. Now, just so everybody knows, I will use the name Sarah and Sarai interchangeably because she gets a name change here in a little bit. And Abram and Abraham interchangeably because he gets a name change here in a little bit. Flashback. Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Sarah and Abraham go down to Egypt. 
And if you remember correctly, we said in Genesis 12, we talked about how we should never go to Egypt. Egypt represents the world. When you live your life according to the standards of the world, you will get into trouble. I see so many Christians doing things the world does that does not line up with the Bible, and they expect God to bless it. It doesn't work that way. And these are points we're going to continue. You will not have peace when you're not in God's will. If your life is not in line with God's will, you will not have peace. And how can you expect God to bless something that he's not in? So Abram and Sarah go down to Egypt. They get in trouble. He lies about her. You remember the story. And they pick up Hagar, it looks like. And they bring Hagar back with them. So what happened now, fast forward, God has promised Abraham a son. Promised Sarah a son. Now, remember, we mentioned last week that Abraham was pushing 90 at this time. If you look at verse 16, he's 86 years old. There's no child. Sarah, if I remember correctly, she's about 76 at this time. So Sarah comes up with this great idea. God's promised us a child. It's obviously not working out between us. Take my servant, Hagar. Go sleep with her, and then she'll have a child, and then everything will be great. Now, I have no idea who thought that was a good idea. I have no idea who green-lighted this idea. But you know what Abraham did? He obeyed. So let's talk about what everybody did wrong. Verses 1 and 2. Sarah is not trusting God. She's rushing God's plan. God promised them a son. God promised they would have a child. She needs to trust it. How many times as Christians do we rush God's plan because he's not moving quick enough? That loved one that I love so much that is not saved, obviously the Holy Spirit's not working on their heart quick enough. I better step in. No. That person who is not making good choices in life, it's time for me to step in and tell them what to do. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize I need to step back, let the Holy Spirit lead, and let the Lord speak to their hearts. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't say anything, but let the Lord speak to their hearts. Nothing good ever comes out of trying to rush God's plan. Nothing good comes out of it. We go in His time frame, because His time frame's the best. So Sarah... Child's not coming quick enough. Abraham's 86. She's 76. This isn't working out. We need to bring somebody else into this. Rush God's plan. Problem number one. Sarah, she's not doing the right thing. Problem number two. Verse two. Look at the end of verse two. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the tent in that conversation? Abraham, I have a great idea. The, son I, the son's not coming quick enough. How about you go take Hagar and... What? Abraham agreed. Abraham agreed. He's doing the wrong thing. So what happens in verse 3? Well, the event happens. Verse 4, she gets pregnant. And guess what happens in verse 4? Now Hagar's upset at Sarah. Well, of course Hagar's upset at Sarah. Now why is Hagar upset? Because she's being treated like a piece of property. She's being treated as this thing of just go have a child with her. Now she's pregnant, and there's this idea of whose kid is this? Well, it would be Abraham and Sarah's kid because Hagar is, oh, but come on. Hagar's not going to want to give up that child. So now she's upset. Verse 4, it says that she is conceived, her mistress became despised. So now Hagar has tension towards Sarah. So now this builds up. Look at verse 5. My wrong be upon you. Some translations simply say, I blame you. Now, Sarah is blaming Abraham for sleeping with Hagar when it was Sarah's idea to do it. This is a mess. Verse 5, 
Do we not do this when things happen that we don't like? We have to find someone to blame. Did you realize that human nature has become this point that it's never my fault? It's always someone else's fault. Always someone else's fault. And I hear this all the time in counseling. I hear this all the time in life. Well, I wouldn't have done it if you wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have lost my temper if you wouldn't have spoke that way to me. Well, I would be a better spouse if you'd be a better spouse. And it's this blame thing. That's excuses. The book of James makes it abundantly clear. We are drawn away by our own sin and enticed. We are the ones that are wrong. And I, and I hear all the time, well, if they would say they're sorry, I would say I'm sorry. Oh, come on. So what does Hagar do? Excuse me, what does Sarah do? Verse 5, it's now Abraham's fault. What, what did she think was going to happen? Look at verse 5. My wrong be upon you, I blame you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Then look at this, the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, you better be careful when you say the Lord judge between you and me. Because through the first five verses, let's just state the facts. Sarah thought God was moving too slow. Her great idea was Abraham, you sleep with Hagar. They now have a child that's conceived. So Hagar is now upset at Sarah. Sarah is now upset at Hagar. And Abraham is just in the middle. So this is finally an opportunity because Abraham should have stepped up. He should have been the man, should have been the leader. It's time for him to step up. And what does he do in verse 6? So Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. If you want to know anything about what it means to be a spiritual leader in your house, mark verse, verse 6, then put beside it, never do that. Abraham's spiritual leadership is, I don't care, you do what you want. Come on. Nobody is stepping up to the plate here. Nobody is saying, this is the stupidest idea that I've ever heard. Nobody. Haven't you ever had a situation in your house where you see the snowball just happening, and now you look back over the years, and you're like, why didn't one of us at one time just step up and say, this is not in line with God's will? My words to you, your words to me, my words to the kids, the kids' words to me, our actions, our words, our everything. How is this biblical? I mean, I look at these first six verses, and if we could go back in time... What would have happened if someone just would have grabbed Abraham and said, Abraham, think about this. Do you really think this is what God wants? And and I think sometimes we just need to spiritually stop for a second because this is a mess. This is an absolute mess, and the effects of it are still around today. So now, we need to talk about this for a second. Can you go with me to 2 Samuel 13? And, And I don't say this as a joke. Let's go from one situation that's awful to... Another one that's even worse. 2 Samuel 13. Because Sarah got exactly what she wanted. Do you realize that? And she's not happy. Have you ever had that person that you could give them everything and they would still find a way to be discontent? Our oldest child is that way. You could give him the world. Be discontent. We were doing a hospital visit yesterday. And on certain hospital visits, we take the whole family with us, and, and we go up. And so here we are in Toledo doing this hospital visit, and it was supper time. And the boys have this strange ability to know when there's a McDonald's playland in the area. I don't know how they know it, but they just know it. We were in this area of Toledo that wasn't the best. They saw a McDonald's playland, like, Dad, let's go there. It's like, no, I love you enough. We're never going in there. So we had this idea of we'll just swing through Perrysburg on the way home and go to Chick-fil-A and... Better food, I'm not trying to be judgmental, better food, play area, etc., the whole nine yards. So we get there, and Elias, 
is just utterly disappointed. The food's not as good as McDonald's. The playland's not as nice as McDonald's. And I don't know how he knows this. The area of town is not as nice as Toledo. I don't know how he knows that Perrysburg is not as good as downtown. I don't know how he knows that. It took too long to get there. The drinks weren't as big. He thinks the nuggets are bigger at McDonald's. This this discontentment. That's Sarah. Abraham, go sleep with Hagar, get me a child. Okay, I'll do it. Abraham does it. Sarah, why did you do that? I blame you. You told me to. Haven't you ever had it where you could give the person the world and they would still be upset? You know what that really shows? It shows their heart is not content in Christ. Because they think there's going to be some contentment in the world. Their heart is not content in Christ. And if your heart is not content in Christ, there's nothing anybody could do to make you happy. What you see here in 2 Samuel 13 is a very long soap opera story. And and I... If you're interested, it is a fascinating story that goes on chapter after chapter after chapter. What happened is this. And I'll try to sum it up as best as we can. There's this guy, David, and we all know David. And David has numerous children from numerous wives, which was not good. So what happens is David has got these kids. And if you look here in verse 1, there's Tamar, and there's Ammon, and then there's Absalom. Okay? Well, what happens is this guy, Ammon has a thing for Tamar, which is kind of his sister. Verse 2, Ammon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And look at verse 2, and it was improper for Ammon to do anything to her. So he kind of liked his half-sister thing here. He wanted to be with her, so he couldn't be with her. So what does he do? Verse 3 and 4, he whines, I really like her. And there's this guy here in Jonadab in verse 3. Look at the end of verse 3. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. So Jonadab comes up with this idea. Pretend to be sick, Ammon. And then as you pretend to be sick, Dad will come to you, David, and he'll say, hey, what would make you feel better? And then you say, the only thing that would make me feel better is if Tamar, my sister, could come take care of me. Verse 6. So verse 7, David said, Tamar, go take care of your brother. So that's exactly what happens. So verse 8, Tamar comes to the house. She makes cakes in front of him. She cooks from him. And then everything happens in verse 9. Ammon says, hey, everybody leave the room so it's just me and Tamar. Verse 10, hey, Tamar, why don't we bring the food in to my bedroom? Verse 11, hey, Tamar, why don't you come lie down now with me? Verse 12, she answered, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not be, do this disgraceful thing. She realizes where this is going. So what happens now? Verse 14, he would not heed her voice. Being stronger than she, he forced her and laid with her, so he raped her. Verse 15, Then Ammon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Ammon said to her, Arise, be gone. See, what does verse 15 show? This man is an awful man. I mean, this guy is an awful, awful man. But verse 15, he got everything he wanted, and what happened? And now he hates it. Haven't you ever seen somebody like that in life? They get everything they wanted, and instead of those possessions becoming a joy to them, it becomes a hatred to them. That car, that camper, that addition, that item that they couldn't live without, they get it, they have it, now they look on it and they hate it. 
Because what happens is that item is not contentment. He rapes his sister, and basically, verse 15, he hates himself for doing it, and he can't stand the look of her, so he says, you get out. Sarah wants a kid so bad, her great idea is Abraham sleep with Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant, and now she says, I can't stand her, get out. Have you ever been around somebody who one moment they're just like great and happy and joyful and then like nothing changes but all of a sudden they become this jerk? What is that? That's spiritual discontentment. They have a little bit of joy in life and then all of a sudden they hate life and they have joy. And it's this awful up and down roller coaster that you have to work with, you have to live with, you have to be around. What, what is really going on? What's really going on is they're not right with God. And so since they're not right with God, they keep thinking that something is going to make them feel better. I did counseling with somebody years ago, and she was stressed beyond all stress with work and life, etc. So we're sitting there, we're talking, we're praying. She finally just stopped, took a deep breath. She goes, you know what I need to do? And I thought we were going to have a breakthrough. She goes, I just need to go to Franklin Park Mall and go shopping. I'm not kidding. And, and, and I said, that is not going to make you feel better. It will be a temporary feel better. I mean, don't we do this? I just need to get away for a little bit. If I could just get away, I could... Yeah, you, you would. You'd get away for a little bit. And guess what? You're going to come right back to life. Boy, if I could just go do this for a little... Yeah, you will feel better for a little bit. Guess what? I bet you there was an initial excitement over Hagar being pregnant. Sarah and Abraham, we're going to finally have our kid. There was probably some initial fleshly excitement when Ammon got Tamar. Followed by disgust and sin. And I can't believe I did this. You will never be content when you walk in the flesh. You will never be content unless you're right with Christ. That's really what it comes down to. And what you see here with Hagar and and Abraham and Sarah, what you see with Ammon and Tamar, fleshly things will never bring peace. Let me stress these points again. You will not have peace unless you're in God's will. And how can you expect God to bless something that he's not in? You will have moments of fleshly joy followed by utter spiritual heartbreak. It's never, ever worth it. So two awful stories to remind us it's never worth it. Now, it completely changes here from verse 7 through 16. So, But let's take a quick break here. Has anybody got any quick questions and comments about anything that we covered here in the first six verses of Genesis 16 or the story about Ammon and Tamar in 2 Samuel 13? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. Yes. It is, and that's where, in all seriousness, I make this joke about it being a soap opera. But you're absolutely right, Ryan. If you would just start reading there in Second Samuel 13, this story just keeps building, and people are killed left and right. There is, you know, this idea of uh, a civil war, like Ryan is mentioning. And if you're the type of person that says, "Well, the Bible is so boring." You start reading 2 Samuel 13 and just watch this drama develop. And what you really see is when you walk in the flesh, you reap the flesh. And it's never, ever worth it. But yeah, Ryan's right. This drama just keeps building and building there in 2 Samuel 13. Anybody else have anything here they want to say before you go on? All right, let's flip gears now. So she flees from her presence. Verse 6. Now, verse 7. Now, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now, we have to stop there real quick. This phrase, angel of the Lord, very debatable phrase. Very simply put, it means one of two things. It is just an angel of the Lord. Or it is the angel of the Lord. 
which means that this is God himself. Some people say, nope, it's just one of God's archangels that he uses to send down and bring. Other people say, no, this is actually God appearing himself in the Old Testament. Now, the important to always look at the context. Jump ahead to verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also seen him who sees me? Hagar thought that she talked to God. So Hagar was pretty content she talked to God. Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord appears again. Sure looks like God. And also in Exodus 3, the voice out of the burning bush, angel of the Lord speaking to Moses, sure seems like God. So this sure seems like this is an appearance of God in the Old Testament to speak to Hagar. Now, where do they run into each other? On the way to Shur. In case you're wondering, the word Shur means wall, which I find interesting. Hagar hit the wall. She had no place. What's she going to do? She hit the wall. Verse 8. He said to her, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? No, not attacking. Not, what did you do? I mean, what are you thinking? You're, you're running away? You slept with this guy? Come on. No, where are you come from? Where are you going? Now, always remember, when God ever asks a question, he's never asking a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking a probing question to see how you respond. She could have said, oh, I'm just hanging out in the wilderness. She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Ishmael means God hears. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, there's a lot of debate on this. The Muslim people look at themselves as being a descendant of Ishmael, the Arabs. And obviously, I think there's a lot of background to back this up. I do not mean this to be political, but just look at verse 12. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. Every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. I think that describes the Middle East pretty clearly right now. There's a lot of wild over there. They're fighting each other. Every man is against every man. And they're dwelling in the presence of all his brethren. The Jews, the Muslims, it's all right there. This prophecy is given thousands of years ago. And God hit the nail right on the head. Right on the head. And it always fascinates me. And I don't want to get on my soapbox, but it always fascinates me when you run into some of these political people that keep thinking about peace in the Middle East and all this other type of stuff. And I look at verse 12, and God says, you're dealing with wild people that just want to fight each other. That's what God said. There's only going to be peace when Jesus Christ returns and rules and reigns. Until then, there's fake. It's a fake peace. Verse 12 is probably the most... um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it's probably the least political thing you should ever say. Can you imagine if a candidate ever got up and said, Hey, my opinion on the Middle East? Uh, Genesis 16:12. <laughs> probably wouldn't go over real well. There's a lot of truth in Genesis 16:12. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er, Laha, Ro'oh. Observe it. It's between Kadesh and Bered. And verse 14, that means the well of the one who lives and sees. So Hagar bore Abram's son. Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. I find verse 15 fascinating. And I, would like to, I wish there was more commentary in verse 15. Did Hagar go back and say, hey, by the way, Abraham, I ran into God. And he said, name the kid Ishmael. Because for the kid to be named Ishmael, it's kind of a big deal. 
They listened to the maidservant. Verse 16, Abram was 86 years old and Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now we know what happens here in 14 years. They have the amazing child of Isaac. And in just a few chapters after that, they kick, they kick Hagar out again. But what you see here in Genesis 16, verses 1 through 16, every, everybody's wrong. Sarah's rushing God. She's got this crazy idea. Abraham is obedient to this idea. He's not standing up and saying, this makes no sense. This is of the flesh. We're going to wait and trust in God. And you see the result of their action is discord. It is lack of peace. You see in 2 Samuel 13, when you follow the flesh, it leads to lack of peace. But guess what happens in verse 7? God comes on the scene and he says, I can work this out. Grace. Grace. This is what I want to finish with. Can you go to Psalm 34, please? Psalm 34. Aren't we thankful that we have a God who sees? I love that. That's how she describes it, that he is the God who sees her. Now, this is either a comforting thought or convicting thought. Your heavenly Father is watching over you all the time. Now, that's comforting, if, if that is reassuring to you, it's convicting if you're doing wrong things. Psalm 34. Look at this description here of God. Verse, um, oh, let's start here in verse 15. Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Boy, isn't that the truth? God sees you, God hears your cry. I mean, one of Satan's biggest lies is no one cares. No one understands the pain you're going through. No one understands the difficulties. You try to talk to your brothers, your sisters, your pastors, your friends, whatever. No one sees, hears, or understands. Verse 15, God does. Think of somebody right now you know in life that is just completely spiritually not where they're supposed to be. How much better would they be spiritually if they just took verse 15 and said, God, your ears are listening to me, your eyes are on me, and I want to talk to you. Lord, I want you to be there for me. Let's read a couple more of these verses. Verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I love those verses. I'm telling you right now, I can think of about five people that I'm probably going to send those passages to in the next couple of days. I'm just saying, the Lord hears, the Lord listens, he, He's there for you. Just one more time, look at verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. If you came in tonight, and there's a struggle, there's bondage, there's baggage, I don't know what it is, those verses are for you. Hagar... Sarah, Abraham, they got a mess. God still is there for them. And that's the beauty, the beauty of grace. Beauty of grace. So we'll continue our study in Genesis next week. We'll get into Genesis 17 here. It's going to change directions a little bit. We'll come back to Ishmael and Hagar in a few chapters, but uh, we've got to take a little bit of a break, if you will. And we need to talk about some other things and eventually build up to Sodom and Gomorrah as well, too. So does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything we covered tonight? Uh, any of those things at all? All right, if not, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Psalm 34. Thank you for being a God that hears, understands, and cares. And Lord, as we run into people that are just spiritually struggling, help us to encourage them in you. Lord, help them. Help us to see that there will never be any joy in the flesh. No joy whatsoever, Lord. Help us as to live for you the right way and always say and do. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.